What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat, but it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God, Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine, and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. 
and he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. I want to invite you, if you would, take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you know, we've kind of been on this journey, uh, and it's kind of taken some different turns every week almost for me personally. Uh, we've talked about the church as kind of an introduction, and uh, after, after I did the perspiration, all the work of getting ready for Sunday, I was about two-thirds of the, the way through getting ready, I was going to talk on the Lord's Prayer and prayer today, and it quickly moved to, I had this inspiration. It was kind of a challenge because I felt like the Lord saying to me, you know, before you talk about these disciplines of the faith, these things that you call us to do, help them understand why you're asking them to do it. And it, it was quickly, I understood that, you know something, the disciplines of the faith, the things that we do can quickly become simply religious activities. Things that we check off. Things that we get done in our head, but they may not necessarily speak and move us in the area of our heart. So I want us to see how to view God. Because it's critical and important in our spiritual journey. And some of you, maybe you've been Christ followers for decades. Maybe some of you, and I know there's a number of people at Creekside in the last three weeks, three months, who are still on this journey trying to figure out, well, what is church all about? What are they talking about? Jesus and God and all of this. Good, I'm glad you're here. Because I want you to hear what we believe, how we see these kinds of things, and how we really see God. Because how you view God will determine how you view all other areas of your life, your relationships how you view the things that I'm talking about today, and I'm only going to get through the first two, and how you, we view them, and we'll finish talking about them next week. This is what I know. The longer you're in church, it is so easy to slowly and subtly move into a relationship with God that really begins to move its focus on Christ being centered where the core, the heart of it is Jesus Christ. It can quickly move to, and you don't even notice it, most of us, where it becomes what I do, how I look, the practices that I'm involved in, what do people think. It's so subtle. And you begin to have some of these kind of different thoughts. Let me tell you some of the thoughts that pervade the church of Jesus Christ. Not just Creekside, but it's easy for any of us and all of us at any point, any time to move toward these. First of all, things like religious. Being, just being religious. What the guy was talking about on the video. Uh, religious is just a system that is concerned with commands, creeds, and codes and living up, living up to those standards. That becomes our, our benchmark what we look to be like. Talked about it last week, remember? Behavior modification. You change your behavior, but you don't change the heart. That's what religion does. Legalism, some of us move toward legalism where you slowly and substitute rules and regulations for a relationship with Christ. If you don't smoke, if you don't do this, if you don't go here, if you don't watch that, if you don't do all these things, and those are things that are important in our lives. 
But when that becomes your standard of measure, not because God says don't or do, but because you think it's what you should do or shouldn't do based on what somebody else says, you begin to move toward this thing called legalism. See, God loves you. Hear this. Most people really don't understand this, or the ones that do may take it to an extreme, but God, but God, extreme, but God loves you as much on your bad days as he does your good days. You want to know why? Because this God, that, we, that my goal in, in, in the next six months or all year, whatever, is to make him bigger than what we've seen him. I mean, I can't make them bigger, but I hope that just through being together, that you begin to see the largeness, the muchness of God. He's grand. He is, uh, the reason his love for you doesn't change is because one of his, one of his character traits, it says that he's immutable. That means unchanging. He's immutable. He's the creator. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's God. And I want to make sure that we don't scale him down to our little list of things, of religious thought or, or legalistic list of do's and don'ts. Because the third thing you can get involved in is paganism. Paganism? I don't have any idols. Well, paganism is simply developing a set of rituals to appease this God and to keep him happy toward us and generous with us. No, no, we're not going to, we, we don't sacrifice pigs to a deity, small d, like the people in Papua New Guinea do. We don't do things for God so that we'll have this great harvest. But isn't it true that it really is easy to begin to do things in our life that are spiritual things or religious things so that we can keep that God happy with us so that he's generous to us? And the thing with any obligated relationship is it always sets you up for a letdown because we really do. We don't say it. But if I listen to people long enough, this is what I begin to understand. If they do this, if they do that, if they pray, read the Bible, give money, go to church, love people, well, they, they begin to talk like, and if something happens in their life, well, where's God? I'm doing everything that he wants me to do. That, do you see how subtle that is? That's paganism. Because what we're saying is, is that we can control God and what he does for us based on what we do with him. It's really manipulation. See, if we understand how big God is, we might be able to manipulate people, but we can't manipulate him. And that's why I want us to see the largeness of him. Now, are all of these disciplines and things important? Absolutely. There's other people too. If it isn't, you know, if it isn't religion, if it isn't legalism, if it isn't paganism, it can be moralism. I'm a good person. What's, what's not to like about me? You know? I mean, yeah, I've got some dark spots here and there, but ultimately God's going to get out the universal scales of justice and go, Terry, ooh, boy, yeah. Well, hey, he's a pretty good guy. That doesn't work that way. It's all about Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, not what you do for him. Now, I'm talking about these spiritual disciplines because they really are important. And here's the tension of truth that I really wanted to kind of front load for you, that, that we do do these things. 
we do believe in this God and Jesus Christ. We do read the Bible. We do pray to this God. We do go to church. We do give. We do serve. But it isn't so that we can get into this quid pro quo relationship with our God. There's a lot of other reasons that are better, more definite, more positive, more powerful for us than just to keep this God happy. See, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8 or 9, he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says, he says, listen, Timothy, I want you to exercise yourself unto godliness. The idea of exercise, there we get our word gymnastics from it. Go to the gym. Work, your, work out, you know. <laughs> Do some spiritual calisthenics. Get on the treadmill, man. Run spiritually to grow yourself. There is that. None of you have jobs that you can't grow into. None of you have jobs that you can just kind of go, I never have to read about it, I never have to grow in it, I just kind of slide into it. None of us become better parents because we just slide into it. Hopefully we're thinking, we're praying, we're reading, we're learning about how to become a better parent, a better spouse, a better partner, a better person. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. There is a discipline to it. And so, but, but the discipline can soon overtake the priority of what it's really trying to do, which when we, when we talk about these things, I'll just tell you up front, it's all about a relationship. I don't do things for my wife because I want something from her. I do things for her because I want to love her more and let her know every day in every way that this old boy still loves her after 34 years. It's not because I'm trying to go, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll get something out of this, you know? Listen, when I love her like I should, I don't have to worry about whatever I want. I'll always get it. And, and, and you know that in a relationship, whether it's a friend, a spouse. So we're back to the start. For some, this is old stuff. And, 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 I, and I hope that it kind of reminds you of the importance of what we're talking about and kind of getting back to the start with Jesus Christ. And for others of us, maybe you're going, wow, I'm, I don't really understand all this. But this will help you understand where I'm coming from as a pastor, where I believe Jesus is coming from, from his word, and where we want to be as a church. And why we do, why we challenge you to grow and do some of the things that we challenge you to do. Because it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about a religion. And I will, you're going to hear me say that a lot this year. Because it is so easy, so easy as a church to become really religious. Look the part, but not live the life. So if you would, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm not going to go deep into this. I'm just going to show you a couple of principles. Paul was a very religious man before Jesus Christ knocked him off a horse. Before literally knocked him off a horse and said, Hey, I'm the man you're trying to take down. And comes into his life and revolutionizes it and changes it. And Paul, and Paul is writing to this church at Philippi. And they're a wonderful group of people. But there was a group of people called the Judaizers. They were evil workers. And they were trying to tell the people there, Listen, a circumcision was the old... Um, mark of covenant relationship with God through his people. So the males on the eighth day, on the, after being born on their eighth day, they'd go and get circumcised. But throughout the Old Testament, there began to be this revelation from God to his people. And he said, there's going to come a day when circumcision, circumcision is secondary. 
Because God is going to come through the person of Christ, the Messiah. And he's going to circumcise your heart. It's going to be an inside job, not an exterior job. And he's going to change you from the inside out, not from the outside. And so all of that happened when Jesus Christ comes and now that he's been ascended and the church has started and so Paul's trying to get this whole new understanding, theological understanding to these people. Because in Philippi, people were coming in, they were called evil workers and Judaizers and they, they wanted to take people back to Judaism which was being, uh, going and getting circumcised. And Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, don't go back to those things. And he says this. He says, finally, my brothers, verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord to write you again about this. There's no trouble for me. It's a protection for you. That's kind of what I'm doing today. You've heard some of this. But it isn't a problem for me because I don't want you to ever forget. This is what it's about. It's a protection for you so that you keep your heart circumcised before Jesus. It doesn't become religion. Verse 2, he says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Um, and in some of your um, translations, it'll say Judaizers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul puts a play on words here. It, because circumcision, obviously, uh, you know what that is? It, 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 it cuts back and, and Paul says, but these people now that want to take you back to that, they're literally just mutilating your flesh. It has absolutely no spiritual significance for you now as one who's following Jesus. That's the old, this is the new. So he's really trying, he's kind of using hyperbole. He's using a play on words to say, don't trust in that. And he says, for we are the circumcision. The one served by the Spirit of God, the Spirit that works within now, that's circumcising our heart inwardly. So he says, don't put any confidence in the flesh. And what he's saying there, don't put in what you can do. And he says, you know what? There was a time, church, when I had a lot of confidence in the flesh. As a matter of fact, Paul's kind of bragging here, but he says, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in what they're doing, I have more. And he basically is saying, I've done it all, been there, done that. Listen, if you think you're here at an 8 spiritually, I was a 10. If you think you're a 10, I was a 12. And then he begins to list the reasons of their credentials why he says that. He says in verse um, 4, he says, Although once I had confidence in the flesh too, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence, I have more. And he says, these are my credentials. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what a good Jewish boy did to follow the letter of the law. He says, I did the rituals. I did the right thing. See, some of us maybe sit here today and we go, oh, I've been baptized, I've taken communion, I've done, gone through Catechism, baby dedication. I've done all of these things. Don't fall into the trap of trusting those things that that's what makes you right before God. Uh-uh. No, no. Those are rituals that help express what has happened outwardly, what's happened inwardly. But they have absolutely no saving power for your life. They're simply rituals and things that have a dynamic to them that you do after you've come to Jesus. Don't trust in a ritual. Well, and then he says, and I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He says, don't trust your pedigree. How many people believe that they're born into the family of God? <laughs> I was born into a Christian family. My mom and daddy went to church. They took me. So therefore, by osmosis, I must be a Christian. No. God doesn't have any grandchildren. 
Okay? It's all first generation. Everybody has days, and I don't get in on the coattails of my parents. It's what the choice that I make to enter into with relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he says, don't trust in religion. Paul says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. See, Paul was one of the most religious people back then. He was one of the top religious dogs. But Jesus isn't into religion. He's into Jesus. And he's into us entering into a relationship with him. See, religion is man's attempt to get to God by doing things, hoping we can get up high enough. No. Relationship is all about Jesus coming, Emmanuel, God with us. The way to the Father, John 14. And then Paul says, don't trust in your rules. He says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. If you read the Bible, the New Testament, the Gospels, you know who the rules keepers were? The Pharisees. They knew them. They kept them. But their heart, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, was so far from God. They did all the right things for all the wrong reasons and in all the wrong ways. See, when you look at these views of approaching God, it really will begin to lead to warped thinking in your life. It will lead to warped relating to God and to the people around you. That's why, that's why Christians can become so stinking mean. Because we learn, don't do this, do this. And all those things are, uh, I'll, I'll talk about them a little more next week, but those are guard rule, guardrails of grace to help us, to protect us, to keep us. Not to get this checklist so that we go, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm, doing it. I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. Woo! You know? And, oh, and I know, I'm sorry, none of us act like that. But inside we start thinking it. Because then we see people doing it and we go, you're kidding me. You're a Christian? Well, and, and listen, let me just say, I better say it because somebody will go, well, pastor, don't you care about sin? Yes! I don't want people sinning. I hate sin in my own life. I wish I sinned less. I'm getting better. I want you to sin less. But if I focus on that and I look at everybody's sin instead of looking at the imprint of God's image upon them, I'll miss it. And I will begin to go, I am one good person. And I'll be looking down on you. And when I'm up on that stage, I don't look down on you. But we just said, you know what? I want to get a little closer to you. I'm with you. I'm not above you. And I don't want a church that acts like we're above anybody. Jesus didn't. See, and we, get, we, get, we just get warped. The longer you're in church, if you're not careful, you become really religious. I'm sorry, but you do. And I'm, I just go... I've found some vestiges of religious things in my heart recently. And I said, God, if I'm getting it, I know they're getting it because I'm always talking to them. You know? You're going to get what I get, so this is what you're getting. See, but this is how we get warped. Let me show you. These are my keys. I'm walking home. And it's pretty dark over there. So, throw my keys over there. I lost them. And so now I'm over here looking for my keys. And all of a sudden... Lisa comes over and goes, Terry, can I help you? Yeah, please, I dropped my keys. I lost them. And so she helps me. And then, and, and then pretty soon Adam comes over. He goes, hey, would you look at how I lost my keys? And he starts helping me. And then pretty soon you got Rich coming over and he's helping me. And we've got all these people who are looking for my keys. Well, and then finally Diane comes and says, hey, what are you looking for? Your keys. Oh, okay. How long have you been here? Oh, about 20 minutes looking. You haven't found them? No. Well, is, is that where you lost them? 
Well, no. I lost them. I lost them over there, but the light's best right here. You know? And, and so that's where I got to find. I got to look where the light is. And that's what we do with God. And we begin to look at these places where it seems natural to find them. Well, what do people say at work? What does it say on the internet? What does it say over here? Well, what are some of these winged out pastors on TV say, preachers on TV say, you know? And we begin to look in all the wrong places and listen to some of the wrong people and get some of the wrong ideas instead of getting back to where God says, you know, this is how you're going to find me. You're going to find me when you come with a humble heart. Because see, we lost God. Listen, I mean, God has never been lost, but we lost him in the beginning because of sin, disobedience, and rebellion. And people still can't find him today because of those same reasons. Where's God? I don't care. I don't need God. Look at me. <laughs> what do I need God for? You know, we, we, we rebel. We, you know, but the way we're going to find God again is not back in sin and disobedience where we lost him, but it's going to be in the light of his word. Jeremiah put it this way to God's people. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me. Where? How? With all of your heart. Not just your mind, but your heart. Where your heart is broken. Your heart comes to this place where it says, I need God. And I may not be able to figure it all out up here, but I know in here something's happening. That's what Paul says in Philippians after he talks about all of his credentials. He goes on and he says, he says, listen, all of these things that he listed, the credentials that are so good and so far above everybody else, they're just a bunch of junk. And there's another word for it, but I won't go into it, but it's bad, it's stinky, and it's awful. And he says, that's what it is. And he says this, verse 10, you know what my goal is? My goal. You want to have a goal? Make this your goal. I want to know Jesus. The power of his resurrection, his life. I want to, you know, the fellowship of his suffering is going to be a part of it. And then I want to be conformed to his death. I want to die to self like he did. See, a lot of Christ followers... It's easy for us to hang around three, four, five, ten years, but still not know Jesus Christ. Isn't that why a lot of marriages go south? Because you can be married for a lot of years, but you aren't growing, you aren't knowing, you aren't learning, you aren't pressing in to that person that you committed your life to. And you just move into same-o, same-o, same-o. Do the same things, the same way, the same place, the same, same talks, you know, and, and nothing changes and nothing grows. Paul says, I don't, I don't want that with Jesus. He says, I don't want to just, he, he uses a powerful word there, and you know I've talked about this before. He uses the word ginosko. It isn't the word oida in the Greek that has to do with data, facts, information. It's the word ginosko that has its root in the Old Testament word. Remember where Adam knew Eve? Remember where Joseph knew Mary after they, Jesus came? Yeah. There's that kind of openness, that kind of intimacy, that kind of let's grow. I want to experience you, Lord. I, want to, I don't want to just know here, but my heart wants to be moved. So that, man, there's those days I just want to surrender. I just want to love you. 
going to grow with you. And see, loved ones, if our view of God doesn't take into account, it is a growing, dynamic relationship. You will get static and you will then begin to become religious. Because you'll rest on, depend on doing all the right things with your head and your body, but your heart will begin to do what Jesus said. You do the right things, but your heart is far from me. So I want to talk to you about a few things this week and next week. And I'm going to bring some more God stuff because I want you to get a grasp of the character and the heart of God, not just the things to do, but this creator, this lover of your soul that is, that is so large we can't comprehend or understand him, yet he says, I want you to know me. That's why I send Jesus. So God, that's the first one. See, people see God as, I always hate this term because it really kind of shows me, I believe, generally where their relationship is. You know, they got that, you know, the man upstairs. <laughs> Yeah, well, what man upstairs? I, you know, I live in a single-story house. What guy, you know? No, 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 you know, God up there. You know, it's so impersonal. Or there's other people, and might be some of you today that, you know, well, you know God, he's got the bony finger, and he's always pointing out those things. He's just ready. I mean, I'm afraid to do something wrong because you know, a lightning bolt from heaven or, if or maybe a boulder will hit my car. And see, so many people live in fear, not faith. See, God's not out to get you. Listen, if God was out to get you, he would have got you. You know what I mean? Think about that. I just thought about it. That's true. If he was out to get you, he would have already got you. Every one of us in here have done enough wrong to go... You know? But he's not out to get us. He's out to protect us and lead us to a relationship with his son. See, this is how we have to see sin. Like I said earlier, I'm against sin. I wish I sinned less. But I'm, that's not my focus in my life. My focus is Jesus. Because I do find when I focus on him, my sin becomes less. The less I focus on him, the more tendency I have to move into little sins here and there. See, this is what the Bible says. Hebrew, excuse me, Numbers, 20, uh, Numbers 32. It says, be sure that your sins will find you out. Now, that's a lot different than be sure God's going to be on your tail and make sure that he takes care of you when you sin. See, listen, let me, let me just bottom line it for you. When you die, if you don't take care of the Jesus question, yeah, your sin's going to find you out and God's going to find you out there. But right now, you're in this dispensation of grace where you get to experience the love of God and the reason that your sins find you out is because that's what God has set in order. When you do something, if, if I stand up here and I jump down here, I'm going to fall. Why? That's gravity. That's what God set in motion. You sin, the consequences are going to find you out. Well, let me illustrate it to you in a way that I really hate to tell you this. Two things happened this last week. Um, you know, we, we have, I don't know, three or four, five, probably five, maybe six policemen in our church. CHP, county, Piedmont, I mean, everywhere. They're all over the place. Be careful. <laughs> okay? 
So I think it was Tuesday, I, come, I, I went up, got a coffee, I come screaming into the parking lot, and one of Martinez's finest blue comes screaming behind me with their lights on. Woo, 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 Jim Chase. He goes, I saw a, a streak of a car, and I thought that was my pastor. I said, Jim, I really don't think, was I going that fast? And he just goes, ha, 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 and uh, gave me a big hug, and we talked. So I really don't know if I was speeding. That was Tuesday. But you know, it just, it just never feels good when those lights are going. And then it was Jim, and I go, okay, <sighs> didn't get a ticket. But then Wednesday. Let, let me, everything I'm going to say right now, I'm not, I'm not preacher embellishing it. This is the way I think and what happens. I live about a pitching wedge away from this church. Literally, I could, I could drop a ball, golf ball in my front yard, take a pitching wedge out 120 yards and probably get in our parking lot. So I'm close. So now I've seen two accidents right out here at the intersection between Sunny Slopes and um, Midhill and coming over here to uh, Fig Tree. And they're, they're really kind of ugly. They're not good. I didn't see them happen, but I saw the aftermath of them. Uh, of them. And so it's usually, it's a side swipe. It's a T-bone. And so I've lived in my house now for um, 15 years. 30% of the time, I don't wear a seatbelt coming over here. 70% of the time I do. And the reason I do is because this is what I think. Uh, and I've honestly thought this. Uh, Lord, I know that uh, it would be just the way life would happen that the day I didn't wear a seatbelt, you know, cause when you look both ways, you've got to get out there. And sometimes it's hard to see cars coming down this way. And sometimes some of these speeders, I'll tell the police right now, watch them, um, <laughs> park. It's, it's, it's just, you know, you get out there and all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh man, back up, you know. And um, so I was, I was in a hurry that day. This is one of those 30% times I didn't buckle my seatbelt. And so I pull up there. And just as you know how you do that California stop, you're coming up there. I stop. And all of a sudden, right over the hill on the right, coming down mid-hill, is a, another Martinez policeman. And now, th this is what I feel stupid about. But have you ever done this where you go, oh, busted. And you go, you try and sneak the seatbelt over. <laughs> And it was, I, I was too late. And all of a sudden, that guy pulls over. He pulls right in front of the, right in front of the corner of the church there at the, at, the, at the sign on the corner. Looks over at me and he goes. <laughs> and it was Freddy. <laughs> so, you know, I get, I get busted by two guys in church. They're thinking, oh, our pastor's a sinner. <laughs> And I am. And I know some of you go, well, Pastor, that's just a little bit legalistic. No, it's really not. You know why? Because wearing your safe belt is a safeguard. And I've thought it in my head and knowing that if I got hit there, that there could be some serious damage to this old body. It's a safeguard. And you know what? It isn't God going, I mean, I'm sure God was having a nice little laugh both of these days. But it's not God picking on me and saying, I'll show this boy. You know what it is? It's, I've got to remember, I know what to do. And when I don't do it, it can hurt me. And it's really not about getting, it is funny to get caught by two of our guys, but, but you hear what I'm saying? 
See, when God says something to you, loved ones, it's not because he's got the bony finger. It's because he's that protective dad that says, oh, I just love you. I just love you. And I want to protect you. See, some people come to Christ. When I first came to Christ, I did it in the 70s. You remember when they were talking about the rapture and Jesus coming? I still believe he is. But they said, man, this is it's going to happen in the next 10 years. And there's a scripture in the Bible, the story Jesus told, that there's going to be people walking together and one's going to be taken and one's not going to be taken. You know what I did? I didn't hang out with anybody for my first year of being a Christian. <laughs> because I didn't want to be that one that wasn't taken. Fear. Some people think that. We got a few Catholic friends that come to Creekside now that would never come to this church because they said, oh, I can't leave the Catholic church. I don't want to go there. And they don't go, but they wouldn't come here. Well, then finally they got to the place where they could come here and they go, I think I want to go, but I can't go into a place that doesn't have stained glass. I can't go into a, a gymnasium. Well, then they finally started coming. They started to feel the freedom of Jesus. See, it's about a relationship. See, this is what religion says about God. It focuses on a system of thought concerning and having information and knowledge about Jesus. It gets the facts, it gets the data, it knows the verses, but it doesn't connect and live and walk with him. And everything in your life is about doing and doing and doing. And that's when it becomes like paganism. Because you're simply trying to get this God who's already on your side, you're trying to get him on your side. See if you do any of these things have any of these belief systems. God is unhappy with me, therefore I have to appease him. God is reluctant to give me anything, even if it's good, uh, therefore I have to coax him. God is obligated to come through for me if I perform the proper ritual, do the right things, which means therefore I can manipulate him. God is changeable. And he may alter his opinion of me at any time. Therefore, I have to constantly prove that I'm a good person. But see, we don't usually do it with God. We usually do it with the people around us. Last one is God is simply a responder and he will react to me with either punishment or reward. Therefore, I will do the things that will always call for a reward response. See, none of those are based on relationships. They're based on pleasing a deity that seems unpleasable. Relationship says this. It's not what you do. It's what God has done. And when you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you will want to do. But it won't be the cart before the horse. It'll be because you know he loves you. And therefore, you want to please him, walk with him, serve him. And when you really begin to understand this about this great God, then you'll begin to do these other things. I'm going to close with this one. Prayer. And I'll cover the, ones, the other ones next week. Talk a little bit more about God. And see, then you'll pray. Then prayer will be something that is viewed not as a religious exercise, but a relationship to maintain. Uh, by, by the way, uh, do, do you know the only prayer and play that won't work against Tim, Tim Tebow and the Denver Broncos? A Hail Mary. Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> because that's what he uses, and of course he's always praying, so it's not going to work against him. Okay, moving on. Um, 
Uh, uh, this is what religion says. Prayer needs to be your habit. You do it this way, you use this formula, you say these words, and you learn to pray a certain way. If you've watched much Christian TV, you'll know what I'm talking about when they come to pray for people. And God, uh, come down at the right now and pray it for these people. You know, and you add like these three syllable words and you get all this intonation and all these big words and these weird looks. And so like when we ask you to sit around tables like today and we, we, I'm not doing this this week, but we've done it for two weeks where I say, could you just pray for one another? People look at each other and go, I don't know how to pray. I can't do that gada and kamatha and, you know, the King James and the weird voice. I, I, I can't do that so we don't pray. Instead of understanding, you know what it is? It's communication with God. It's talking to God. It's not changing your voice. It's not changing your vocabulary. It's just simply talking to the lover of your soul like you would talk to somebody else. It's not twisting God's arm that you've got to say the right things or you've got to pray for an hour to please and to placate him. That's religion. I want you to watch this uh, video here of Tim Tebow. snap of the overtime. The Broncos have been in three overtime games this year. They won them all. Got him. Got him at the 40. It's Thomas at the 50. Stiffer got him three to the 30. To the 20. Thomas to the 10. Denver's going on the New England. They win it on the first play of overtime. six on the first possession to close it out. They do it on the very first play. Now, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I do want to correct your theology. There's a, there's a number of Christians who believe that, well, look at how God is blessing him because he's a follower. God is blessing Tebow in a lot of ways, but I don't think it's with wins. Well, I watched last night. Um, <laughs> can I tell you something? Prayer is so practical. It is not thinking that you're going to turn God, you know, to make your team win or whatever else. Because there's a lot of Christians on the other team. Tim Tebow just happens to be a little bit more demonstrative. And, and let me say about that. He has done it all his, most of his life. I don't, I've listened to him enough times now. I don't hear a religious bone in that kid's body. He is a spiritual man. And the prayer life that he prays when he gets down on his knee. Listen, you know what happened after the win, don't you? He went to the press conference and he's looking at these people. And the first thing, I just want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ and Savior of my life and my team and blah, blah, blah. I didn't see last night, but someone told me after I said this in first service. They said, you know how he started his press conference last night? I just want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't get up there and go, you know, dang, this Christianity stuff ain't working out, is it? LAUGHTER 
You know? I mean, God did all this, and now he leaves me high and dry. It makes me look foolish. No. It was, you know, I just want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. See, pr prayer may not always change the things that you want him to change, but prayer is still, the key is that it keeps you in relationship and the same with Jesus Christ. That's why we pray. Relationship says this. Prayer is a lifestyle. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, to pray without ceasing. I don't pray out of duty, friends. I do it out of a delight for my Lord and Savior. And you know what? I, I, I thought of this, that this is how that, what does that mean, to pray without ceasing? Do you walk around in a trance like a monk? No! Listen, you know how we, you know how we talk without ceasing today, don't you? We got our friends, we got our spouses, we got our kids. We go through day by day. We go through the whole day. And what do we do? We tweet. We twit. We Facebook. We email. We text. We call. And some of you do that with certain friends or maybe your family members all day. Why is that? Because they're always on your mind. Something good happens. Oh, Bobby, guess what happened? Boom, boom, boom. And you, you, you do one of those six things. You know, it's because you're always thinking about those people. And then you're willing to communicate to them about the good, the bad, the difficult. That's the idea, loved ones, of how you pray without ceasing. You just go through your day and all of a sudden you find out you're getting a promotion. Oh, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve it. I'm working hard, but thank you. You just get laid off. Lord, this really stinks. <laughs> but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to walk with you and hopefully hear your voice. So that I'm going to be positive about where you're going. See, that's how we go through our days, loved ones, communicating with the lover of your soul. Amen. To the stars